0: Welcome to episode seven of Late Night Linux Extra, recorded mostly on the 30th of July 2020. I'm Joe. On this episode, we've got an interview or a chat with a friend of mine who I think is the target audience for Linux, the target audience beyond just developers and sysadmins and highly technical people. As I'll explain at the beginning of the interview, my friend Kyle is technical. He does know his way around computers, but he doesn't work in IT but he is interested in Linux for the reasons that you'll hear. I really think that this is the kind of person who we should be appealing to if we want desktop Linux to grow. We'll be discussing this on the next episode of the main show in about a week from when this is released, so do listen out for that. But without further ado then, let's hear my chat with Kyle. Thanks for joining me, Kyle. Thanks for having me. So a bit of background. I wanted to talk to you because... You have recently tried Linux and you have not really stuck with it very much. You're sitting there on Windows recording right now, right? Correct. And your Windows experience is extensive. You've been building PCs since I've known you, which has been for an awfully long time, since you were a kid, basically.
1: Yeah, I've been into it my whole life. But you use Firefox rather than Chrome, mostly. Yeah, I made the big switch to Firefox after a long time of loving Chrome. And Firefox with extensions is... A little bit more tedious for using the internet, but you notice the difference.
0: And so what made you want to try Linux in the first place then? Was it the privacy stuff?
1: It was privacy. It seemed like it was a more private option, like a truly private option, where I was at the point that I couldn't even trust my operating system. It didn't matter if I used Signal or Tor or any other encryption services since I was on Windows. And I read about Linux from time to time, and it always just been something that was I didn't know much about it. I was never had much interest. But at that point in my privacy journey, I made the move.
0: And so what was your first impression of it? You installed Ubuntu first, right? So what was your first impression of using Linux?
1: It was exciting booting it up and not being super familiar with it or it just being kind of analogous to Windows, but not exactly the same thing. My real first impression was that it was ugly. (laughs) I uh, did—I think Ubuntu Mint was one you recommended a long time ago, and I never gave that a shot. I just looked at it or ran it on a like a live USB, and I was like, okay, I hate this. Uh, You also recommended uh, Ubuntu Mate for the most recent reinstallation, and I couldn't even deal with it. the The UI, the UX, it was hideous. (laughs) Really? I'm not. I couldn't get into it. Down Even down to like the logo of Mate. Uh, The color scheme, really, it seems like a lot of distributions try to change the way that Windows look just for the sake of not looking like Windows 10 or Windows 7. And I just feel like that's a bad move because it's, I mean, for instance, Ubuntu, the stock GNOME, doesn't even have a minimize button. You're, You're intended to either use hotkeys or go to the bottom taskbar or left taskbar, wherever you have it, and click on it. It just seems like for the sake of being different, they make things less intuitive. And what about Zubuntu? I think I got you to try that, right? I did try that. That was I liked the retro look of it. Uh, it didn't have a built in night filter. So I mean it may seem silly, but that's one of the main like just the small conveniences of using Windows were just ripped away from me installing these distributions. And I think that's what made it really hard to get into. That as well is, I mean, it had some screen tearing issues on the desktop and I just felt like I was running something from 15 years ago and I wasn't sure what what all the rave was about it.
0: That's what's good about it, that it's like it was from 15 years ago because things were good back then.
1: I can appreciate it in a a vaporwave, like retro looking kind of way, (laughs) but when it comes down to using it, it's just, I feel like Windows, as far as managing, like opening a folder, you're browsing your file structure. Windows just has it down like it works. I don't know what else they could really change. It just seems fluid. So I like the Kubuntu, the Dolphin File Manager, but it even had quirks about it that, were, I mean, sometimes it would hang or just crash more than Windows 10 would crash. It just feels like beta software. Every single distribution I've tried has felt like beta software catching up to basic features that we're used to on Windows or Mac.
0: And this wasn't on some rubbish old hardware, right? This was on a fairly decent desktop PC.
1: Yeah, I gave it a go on my main desktop. I actually did a bunch of distro hopping on uh, my decent tower.
0: So were you dual booting with Windows then? And if so, how much time were you spending in Linux versus Windows?
1: I was dual booting. I started maybe summer of last year actually taking it seriously and saying, okay, unless I need to, I'm not going to boot into Windows. So probably went six months where I just felt like I was kind of dealing with things and trying to learn how to deal with Linux. And a lot of my computer use is just listening to music. It's that simple. And I feel like Linux didn't really even get that right. There weren't any, like there's not really a FUBAR version that works available for Linux. There's not Winamp, but I'm not going to fault them for Winamp because that's archaic. (laughs) I just happened to love that software. What else was missing? Screen savers. Screen savers were not a thing. And there's times where I'll just have my, my desktop idling, and I would like a screen saver to go. And Linux just didn't seem focused on any of the actual desktop user experience stuff. But there are screen available. You, the one that I want was unavailable, and I don't want to get into that. <laughs> I tried so hard to get Electric Sheep to work on there. And I was reading through forums, and everyone's like, yeah, it works. Just you know, install these different dependencies. And so I would go down a rabbit hole of installing things and updating things and would always end up with some issue where I was just like, I don't know how to Google to get past this. I'm not proficient enough in Linux to know how to fix this. And it doesn't seem like anybody out there really cares. Ultimately also what kind of turned me off to Linux was some of the things with Ubuntu, you would just add uh, repositories. And I felt like that undermined the whole idea of it being a secure operating system because I'm going to be adding repositories to people that I don't know and I can't read code so I can't really fact check that these programs are doing what they're doing I can only rely on the community saying yeah, it does what it says it does so I just feel like there was never a I couldn't fully trust it since I didn't know how to read code and the time it would take me to do that learn that sort of thing is just not going to happen
0: and you felt that you needed to add these repositories to get the functionality that you needed then?
1: That I wanted. I mean, not that I needed. I mean, I can launch Firefox and call it a day. It's not really a whole lot that I do on there. Uh, but yes, for certain softwares that I just wanted, I wanted a good music player. I wanted something that would play Flax, that would show me what the bitrate was, show me the sample rate, and just give me controls for audio. And that proved to be not so great. Why can't you just use VLC? VLC, you know, VLC is all right. I, ultimately, I could go back to it and just use VLC. I did. I did skip over VLC. That's a great piece of software on any operating system. But it just wasn't
0: quite enough. You wanted something that was exactly like you had
1: on Windows. It seems like you just don't like change. You know what? I think you're right. I'm very used to uh, the user experience of Windows and. Like I was saying before, I think sometimes they change things just for the sake of changing them to not be like Windows. And they're not even necessarily good changes. It's just, look, it's different. It's like having a command key instead of a start key. <laughs> yeah. What about gaming then? Did you try installing Steam and stuff? I did. Do You know, a couple of the games that were native for Linux were okay. I would say the performance was about the same as Windows I want to say I have a bias towards Windows performance. I think that it performs better in games. But there's a really a big lack of games. And the fact that you have to use Proton or Wine or just... There's things you have to deal with to even just play a game. To me, that wasn't a good desktop experience. I want to turn it on, click on uh, Steam or click on the game and just hit play and not deal with, okay, how do I get this to run at 60 frames a second at least? And so you didn't have much luck with Proton games then? It was mixed. Ultimately, some games just were not available for Proton, and it happened to be one of the games I was occasionally playing at the time. And that's where Windows dual booting came in handy. And it just got to a point eventually that I would boot into Windows because if I felt like playing a game at some point, I didn't want to restart. And here we are. Right. And so was that the last straw then, the gaming thing? Yeah, it was. That Combined with the fact that I didn't have a minimize button on stock Gnome or I had to search out UI tweaks to just make the desktop experience bearable or manageable, in my opinion. The fact that I didn't have very deep controls for like the external sound card that I use. I mean, I I eventually got around to figuring out how to manage it, but not as much as Windows gives. Uh, I never even tried recording live audio on it, but I've. I mean, you've told me it works well. So I guess we'll see. However, certain things like uh, native instruments and all their software sense, that's just never going to happen on Linux. What else killed it? The fact that I would launch Firefox and uh, if you do any search on DuckDuckGo, it would append a uh, canonical refer tag in the search. Really? It did. Yeah, I've, I was freaking out about that. I was like, how can anyone say that this is a private, safe setup when... It's literally hijacking right there, like it's showing, like it's making sure that DuckDuckGo knows, oh, it came from Canonical. Huh. I guess Canonical is not the company it used to be, though, so I can't really say that was that encompasses all of Linux distributions.
0: No, which brings me to a question: Did you try any non Ubuntu based ones? Did you try Fedora or anything like
1: that? I tried Fedora. The one that I liked the most was uh, KDE Neon. Of course, I mean, I feel like that's anyone who likes Windows is going to say KDE Neon. Yeah, but that is ultimately
0: Ubuntu based as well.
1: Yeah, but just the facelift of everything on there—it was a, a better desktop experience. Still had, I mean, weird hangs or crashes when you're just trying to do basic things like move windows, or again, the desktop, the screen tearing on the desktop, like graphics, or something that I noticed, like a lot of detail in. And if I feel like I'm not getting 144 hertz without screen tearing, then my whole experience is ruined.
0: You also have a Raspberry Pi, right? Or did you buy two of them?
1: Yeah, I've bought three actually. <laughs> well, I mean, I would always like, uh, I handed one down to a friend. So technically I had two. I have the four gig and the uh, eight gig now. Just because you had to when it came out. I mean, yeah, it came out with eight gigs. So I'm going to have to buy that. <laughs>
0: and what have you done with it
1: then? Uh, the pie hole. The, the first intrigue was I, I went and visited a friend and he had like six Raspberry Pis in a formation, like, nailed to his wall. (laughs) And I was like, what is this? What's happening here? And he had said something about DNS resolving. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to look into this and probably buy one because that's just cool. And uh, I set up PyHole for my home network, and it's great. And so have you had any sort of SSH experience
0: with that, or have you just used the web GUI and stuff?
1: I learned how to do everything SSH, which I ended up liking a lot. And of course, uh, the fact that Windows 10 just has a Ubuntu distribution on the Windows Store, that helped out a lot. Didn't even have to VM. I guess I could do it from just PowerShell as well. I think all of these are options. Yeah,
0: there's Windows Terminal now, or you, PuTTY is the classic one that you can uh, SSH from. So have you done any other stuff with the Pi then?
1: I've looked around for projects. There's some cool like MP3 player or music player projects that would be uh, interesting to make with it. Although that'd be a really bulky MP3 player. I just like the idea of it. I don't know how you pack I guess you'd have to have like a portable battery with it too. So it ends up being a big ordeal. The next thing that I want to do with the Pi though is I'd like to set up my own streaming server for all my lossless files or uh, videos that I have. I kind of dabbled with Jellyfin, but it, you know, it wasn't a curl install like the Pi hole. So it ended up being something that I kind of read for a while and then entered commands and then it throws me an error. After that happens enough times, I just kind of like, okay, I'm going to shelve this. Like, I'm not advanced enough at Linux to figure this out, so I don't want to deal with it. But uh, at some point, I would like to go back and do that and kind of just reclaim because streaming services may take down files or they don't have the same content that I have. It's just I think it's cool to have your own source of your own personal backup.
0: Yeah, and you could make with a Raspberry Pi four at least a server that you can basically have as a NAS and also have some sort of streaming software on it as well. So you can have multi-purpose stuff going on with the Raspberry Pi 4 because it's so powerful. But you do need some sort of cooling on it, I think. I've
1: got active cooling on mine. Yeah, I bought one of the the small fan shim from, I think, Pi Moroni. I could be wrong with the brand. That's a cool little fan. Helps it a lot. The pie ran a lot hotter than I anticipated. And the stock case that it comes with is a complete joke. I don't know why they even sell that shit.
0: (laughs) It looks cool though, right?
1: It looks, that's why I got it. I was like, this looks cool. And it's OEM. It's the official one. It's got to be good. And then it's like pushing 90 degrees in there. And it's like, okay, good job guys.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it feels like you do wanna get away from Windows, but you just keep getting sucked back there because it's so familiar to you. But with privacy being such a key part of your computing, or at least your goal in computing, surely you must see yourself eventually switching over to Linux, or do you think you just can't put up with the uh, the issues?
1: I think inevitably it will get to the point just like it got to the point where I would pretty much only use Signal for communication. And if someone wanted to communicate with me in a real way, they would have to install Signal as well. So I think it'll get to that point as for my just basic computing needs. I feel like it's never going to be that great though, because the major companies that make music hardware or software just aren't there for Linux. Game companies really need to embrace it. There's just a lot that's missing for it to replace windows which is it's sad but i feel like it's been so long and linux doesn't feel like it's anywhere after 10 years 15 years it's been a lot longer than that but um
0: yeah it has been a long time but surely the way to think about it is not that it's a replacement for windows it's just a new separate thing and you've got to accept that it's not going to be a a direct one-for-one replacement
1: That's true. I I put too much on wanting it to be just exactly like Windows, plus it's private and it's secure. What else could you want? But there's compromises involved with not using Windows. And a major one is just the general experience of using a computer is not so great, in my opinion, of course. Have you used Mac much? I haven't owned one, but I do not like using it. Because it's different? Different in the same way that Linux is sometimes different for seemingly no reason other than to be different from the other operating system. And also equally
0: proprietary and closed source, so you can't really trust it.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, something I'd like to know a lot more about. I've read back and forth with the privacy of, say, iOS versus Android. There's so many advocates for iOS, and I'm just not sure how they got to that point, it being a closed source operating system.
0: I think it's just a difference of business model because... With iOS, Apple, their only aim is to sell you expensive hardware and then services on top of that, apps and content and iCloud and all the rest of it. It's a very straightforward business model, make stuff, sell it. Whereas Google's business model is a little bit more complex and involves tracking of data in order to sell you ads. And so that's, that's why I would probably lean towards an iPhone if you took everything else away, like the cost of it and whatever, and the, the functionality, customizability, all the various reasons that I don't use an iPhone. I think that ultimately, if you're going to use an Android phone that has the Google services on it, then it's probably less private than using an iPhone. But it's just an instinct. You have no idea because it's it's totally proprietary. So you have no idea. Whereas At least if you use something like Lineage OS on an Android phone and don't install the Google apps, then you've got a better chance of that being private. That's something I should ask you about. Have you done much tinkering there with Android?
1: Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time with Android tinkering. When I first got the Nexus 5, that was one of my favorite phones of all time, by the way. Uh, I did every kind of ROM there was for that. I haven't tried the newer Graphene OS, which is advertised as very secure. It just, it seems like a lot of work. You're still dealing with beta software. You're still relying on a really small handful of developers making something that's going to be fluid. And they just can't compete with the Google devs just making Android fluid out of the box. So I guess, again, it's just you're trading user experience for something that is actually private and hopefully does what it says it does. And have you tried it without
0: the Google apps then?
1: I have. Uh, the experience is lacking. It kind of sucks, honestly. But I understand, like, why? I'm not a fan of F-Troid. It's, that's just such an ugly app store. <laughs> when it comes down to me, the reason I haven't really stuck with Linux or a custom ROM is because all I can trust is that I read that they said they're open source, and I read that Enough anonymous people on the internet have said that it does what it says it does, but I can't really fact check that. So I'm kind of just at the mercy of, do I believe what I'm reading? And is everything I'm going through to try to take some sort of stand to protect my privacy? Does it even matter? Is it worth it? Does it work?
0: Well, the argument is that anything that's open source is being looked at by people all over the world. And you've got this very complicated software that's seriously esoteric and not many people can actually understand it. But in theory, everyone is looking at it. And I think the reality is that people are researching it and trying to find vulnerabilities to make a name for themselves. Because if you can find vulnerabilities or any shady shit or whatever in open source software, then you're going to make a massive name for yourself. You, you, you'd be, you know, say there was a backdoor in the Linux kernel, which is just totally, just that I can't ever see that happening, but say there was one and someone found it, they would be world famous, and it'd just be the biggest story ever, and they'd get hired by all sorts of companies. And so there is a kind of motivation there for people to find it, and that's what makes me feel more secure with it. But then again, sometimes they discover vulnerabilities that have been there for 15 years and no one found. So maybe I shouldn't be too confident.
1: Yeah. Vulnerabilities that no one's found except, I mean, probably state actors and they've been actively using those. Yeah. On a positive note, although it seems like it's a battle that we're never going to win, I've gotten a decent amount of people around me to be at least remotely interested or aware of the fact that everything they do on the internet, on their phone, Anything that's done digitally, and even in real life, wherever there's a camera, is being tracked. And it can be referenced by authorities at any point. And the more people around me that I can just even get slightly interested in that, maybe a 1 out of 50 or 1 out of 100 will give a shit at all whatsoever. But if somebody does, I feel like I've made some sort of a difference there. And if apps like Signal or even the Telegram's uh, encrypted chat work the way they say they do then that's progress in having actual privacy
0: can you see yourself installing linux for anyone else then
1: probably not i'd have to find a distribution that i felt could work for that like i don't like how the app store works on ubuntu i don't like the fact that maybe a novice user is still going to install something or do something stupid that is going to compromise their system and i feel like windows is less likely i mean windows is breakable especially to novice users but it seems like linux is more irreparably breakable whereas if you go to try to fix windows it's okay oh i uninstall this shit run a virus scan okay it's fixed or do a system restore with linux it's like it's broken and i personally don't know how to fix that and the advice of do the reinstall the whole thing is not that great advice but often that's the answer
0: well yeah that's the answer that people will just default to but if you know about Linux, then there are ways to fix it. Even from something that seems irreparably damaged, you can fix that system if you know what you're doing. But I suppose you don't know enough about it to support other people,
1: it's the bottom line. I would say I'm not confident enough to have someone else install Linux and then be the tech support, inevitably, because it's gonna happen. I don't think that I have the skills to fix it.
0: Yeah. All right, well, if we talk again, you've got to do that on Linux. Because you told me privately that you've got a laptop, which is um, it's it's not the fastest or whatever. It's not seeing that much use. Are you going to install Linux on that and try and use it? I'm going to. It'll probably be Xubuntu ubuntu again. You'll put up with the screen tearing and the 15-year-old UI.
1: Yeah, and I'll just run the long-term version for four years. And then in four years, I can't wait to see those minor incremental updates that other operating systems already have. <laughs> I'm just so stoked. Right around the corner. <laughs>